Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing, and now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from, with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. What are you waiting for? Come on in. This podcast may contain graphic content and strong language. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Murder, Mischief, and Moscato, guys. Bonus episode. Happy Easter. If you are a person who celebrates Easter. Or a rabbit. Happy Rabbit's Day. Happy Wine and Chocolate Day. Ooh, happy Egg Day. Happy I hope you find all of the uh, hard-boiled eggs you hit around your house day. Yeah. Happy, why would you even... That, Larry's, the ones. Larry's family did that every year, and only one time did they not find them all. That's kind of terrifying because um, we found hidden eggs full of candy in my yard years later. Larry's dad had a memory like an elephant. Like, he just knew where they were all at. Wow. Yeah. Anyway. Happy, happy Chocolate Bunny Day. Yeah. Happy Hope You Found Your Easter Basket if you're wacky like our family uh, you had the whole Easter basket <laughs> for everybody, and you couldn't have your candy till you found your basket. That was that wasn't even a good tradition. You know what? My kids actually really like that tradition, but I also and all the baskets were on the table, and I was livid. I was livid. I was like, you guys have ruined Easter. You didn't hide it. I love it. And I liked hiding them so hard, people could not find them. I uh, dubbed Easter in our house, happy, let's make the children cry day. Because, yeah, there was one child who could not find his basket and would occasionally melt down. If you're looking for a great hide it, I loved it. Tying it with a small piece of yarn behind towels in your bathroom because no one thinks to slide the towels aside on the towel rack. And if the basket fits behind them, no one actually notices that. It's the best place. I love it. Hmm. I don't remember any year where my basket was hidden except for one year when I couldn't find it. And I searched the whole house and I was really, really angry and I yanked a chair out and almost sat on it because it was on a chair tucked under the table. Wow. Okay. I liked uh, hiding them under clothes, clothes piles, like a pile of clothes, like in the laundry room, because nobody thinks, oh, they might be hidden in that random pile of clothes. Hmm. I'm traumatizing them. Yeah, you are. Yes, you are. All right. So, today. Bonus episode. Bonus episode. Free of charge. And we 
are going to bring you Hypnotism Made Me Do It. Ooh. So today you're going to learn some facts about hypnotism you may not know. Lynn, what have you got for us today? I have uh, hypnotists, actual people who hypnotize other people. Okay, and Mary. So this is Murder, Mischief, and Moscato, and you you have three hosts, and we're doing three topics, and I'm Mary Swartz, and I'm doing Crimes of Hypnosis. There you go. Now, when we do a bonus episode, if you've heard us in the past, you know that we always do a cider tasting. And we never charge you any extra for your bonus episode. So to kick us off, today Mary and I are going to start with uh, a local favorite. Okay. This is Sierra Rose Hard Cider. It comes from the Jaden James Brewery in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Yay. This is Raspberry. Yay. And it's one of my favorites. Yay. <laughs> take a smell before you taste it's, it. It smells amazing. Very nice. Yeah. Very nice. Clean, crisp, tart. Yeah. Perfect. Heck yeah. All right. All right. Tana, you're going to lead us off with some uh, facts. The earliest known record of hypnotism dates all the way back to ancient Egypt in 1500 B.C. Holy crap. Imhotep, which he was the earliest known physician, used a type of sleep temple where people would go for a form of suggestion therapy. And they used this to heal both physical and mental ailments. Now, to go along with that little fact, I've got this for you. Okay. January 4th is actually World Hypnotism Day. It is a day to help eliminate the myths and misconceptions that surround hypnosis while promoting the truth and the benefits that it can offer. Nice. All right, Lynn, what do you got for us? All right. She's not a hypnotist. Okay. We We will start our journey into the lives of those people that have played an integral part of hypnosis being what it is today with Frank Mesmer who was born May 23rd, 1734, in South. Uh, if you notice his name, Mesmer, thing about him is uh, the uh, word mesmerize is based on his name. Wow. I thought maybe it was a fake name. Nope, it's not. It's where the word mesmerize is. Uh, the first kind of doctor to get to know and use it and uh, become kind of famous for it. So he got his doctorate of philosophy degree. In his early 20s, at 31, he passed his medical honors, and at 32, he presented his doctoral thesis and soon after began his medical practice. Eight years later, friends learned about something called magnetic therapy and began to use it. He had no idea what his work would lead to. This doctor believed that patients could swallow magnetic fluid. He would then run a magnet over their bodies. He believed it would work to cure them because it was creating an artificial tide in their bodies. And at that time, they felt tides. As he would treat them, he was also talking to the patients and telling them what he was doing and what was happening in their bodies as he was curing them. When he used magnetic therapy, the patients often told him they felt tremendous energy rushing through their bodies as he used the magnets, and they actually could feel their illnesses dissipate leading him to conclude this method was work. After a time, he began to realize he was getting the same results without having them drink the fluids and using magnets. He just began using his hand and passing it over the patient as he told him again what he was cured. In 1775, Franz began to call his way of healing 
general magnetism. He felt that because his body had an abundance of magnetic energy, he could use it to heal others. The doctor believed people were sick because they either did not have enough magnetic fluid in their bodies or it was blocked and not flowing. Magnetic his fluid. Own, yeah, yeah. His own magnetic energy would flow from him to the patient with them and they would be. He was actually putting them in a relaxed state and using the power of suggestion, a type of hypnotism, to cure them. He just didn't realize what was happening. The people he cured all had psychosomatic illnesses. They didn't have a true physical illness or anything that was wrong with them. They just had things in their mind worked on. Like most of us. (laughs) Yeah. Franz had a commanding personality. He was known to be extremely persuasive in his personality, and people were susceptible to suggestions. The doctor built a huge practice. Uh, He was dismissed, though, by other doctors as a quack, and his practice began to falter when he failed to cure more and more people. One very public case was a blind girl who he claimed to have, but she could only see in his presence. And then when she left, she went blind again. So the doctor moved to Paris, and in 1779, he published a book on his animal magnet. The French king, Louis XVI, and his wife, Marie Antoinette, gave France money to support his work, and his practice in Paris began to grow. In 1780, as many as 200 patients a day. He would do this by treating them in very large groups. Sometimes women would become hysterical during these group treatments, and they would be escorted to a special room where he would treat them alone after the group was done. Oh, nothing nothing suspect about that. (laughs) Yeah. Rumors soon began to circulate that he may uh, be abusing the women when he was alone with them, and the king actually began to worry about the doctor's sway over his wife, Marie Antoinette, who was a huge believer in the doctor. In 1784, the uh, king had a royal commission investigate his practice. The royal commission was comprised of some really good scientists, and it was actually led by Benjamin Franklin. After investigating, they found no evidence that animal magnetism was a real medical practice and stated that anyone who was cured of anything was only cured of their own desire and their imagination. The next year, France disappeared, leaving behind many copycat practitioners who continued the practice of people with animal magnetism. Wow. Hmm. Animal magnetism. All right. Wow. <laughs> Early May 1894. Thomas Patton lived with his wife in Sumner County, Kansas. Anderson Gray was a wealthy farmer. He lived nearby with his wife. And he actually owned the property that Thomas Patton and his wife resided on. Thomas McDonald was a farmhand, and he too lived with his wife in Sumner County. Now, Thomas McDonald worked for Anderson Gray, and he and his wife actually lived in Gray's home with them. Anderson Gray was involved in a lawsuit at that time that had been brought against him. Thomas Patton was a witness for the party who had actually filed the lawsuit, and he was going to testify in such a way that was not beneficial to Mr. Gray. After much thought about the matter, the matter, Gray came up with a plan to stop the testimony and keep him out of trouble. The plan started with Gray telling Mr. McDonald that Patton was spreading scandalous gossip regarding Mr. McDonald's wife. Of course, this resulted in McDonald getting very angry indeed and heading to town with the intention of settling this with Patton. The two men met. They exchanged some heated words, and when they parted, it was not over. 
they would meet again. It was also alleged that during this altercation, that Patton actually struck Mr. McDonald with his fist. May 5th, early in the morning, Mr. Gray accidentally runs into Mr. McDonald and he commences to getting the man all heated up again. Patton is a dangerous man. He will never leave you or your wife alone. If he has his way, you'll be run out of town and your poor wife will never be able to hold her head up in public again. He continues telling Mr. McDonald that Patton's intention was to kill McDonald and his wife and that McDonald's only hope of survival would be if he was the one that got the killing done first. Now, Gray is charming. He's a very smooth talker. And eventually he did convince Thomas McDonald that he was just going to have to shoot Thomas Patton to death. But McDonald had actually never even held a gun in his entire life, much less shot at another human being. So what were they to do? Mr. Gray has answers for everything. Why? He will go get a gun. He'll teach McDonald how to shoot the gun. And he would even allow him to borrow it for this very special occasion. So Gray brings a gun, and at first McDonald couldn't hit any mark if his life had even depended on it. But apparently under the mysterious spell of Anderson Gray, within an hour, Thomas McDonald could hit the center of every shot he took. Now shortly before two that very afternoon, Mr. Gray took Mr. McDonald to the spot that Patton would pass by on his way home from town. He cut a notch in a tree so that McDonald could rest the gun while he waited, and he could use it to take the shot if he so desired. Several minutes before three, Thomas Patton came down the path riding on his horse, and wouldn't you know it, a bullet came from McDonald's rifle, and it tried to enter Patton's heart. But Patton did not die right then. He was mortally wounded, and before dying, he would make a dying declaration naming his murderer. When questioned about the murder, Gray swore that he and McDonald had both been at his home during this incident. He said he believed that the shooting was done by, by a cousin of Patton. Well, that didn't really go over well. Mrs. McDonald was arrested along with her husband and Mr. Gray. And once they were in separate cells, Mr. McDonald broke down and he confessed because he couldn't bear to see his lovely wife in jail. He said Gray had hypnotized him into killing the other man. He would never have done it except for the influence of Anderson Gray. Mrs. McDonald was let out of jail, and the other two were charged with murder. Gray, the accessory and hypnotizer, he was placed on trial first. He was quickly found guilty of murder in the first degree and sentenced to be hanged. McDonald's case was tried on the theory that Mr. McDonald was under the hypnotic influence of Gray, and he had absolutely no control over his own actions. During the trial, his lawyer actually showed that any time McDonald got in the vicinity of Gray, he would deny his actions, the confession, and the fact that anything had happened at all. After three hours' deliberation, the jury returned a verdict of not guilty. Thus, for the first time in the history of Kansas, the theory of hypnotism was entered into the trial of a case of murder. Wow. Not guilty. I shot him, but you hypnotized me, so they found him not guilty. A person who has been hypnotized remains completely in control of themselves and their actions. They can hear, they can comprehend, and they can even recall what was said after they return to a normal state. A few moments is invite about five or six of you to come up on the stage. I know a lot of you want to try it. 
And those of you that do come up, you must remember that I am not going to hypnotize you. That's the truth. You are going to hypnotize yourself by taking my suggestions. Hypnotism only <clears throat> brings about memory loss, if that was the intended goal to begin with. And hypnotism cannot make a person do anything they do not want to do on their own. You won't quack like a duck or eat a raw onion unless you're willing to. You will not cheat on your spouse, rob a bank, or kill someone unless you want to. Wow. If it is against your morals or your beliefs, you aren't just going to do it. It also cannot be used to get you to tell the truth about something you don't want to talk about or to lie if you don't want to. And despite what you may have seen on TV, you cannot become stuck in a hypnotic state. Many people may wish they could remain that way. It's been described as extremely pleasant and comfortable, but it isn't actually possible to become stuck that way. Wow. There goes all of our really good ideas. <laughs> nice. Nice job. You're up, Lynn. All right. While Mesmer was growing his animal magnetism practice in 1776, Jose Custodio de Faria was born in Portuguese Goa, a colonial state of Portugal. In his 20s, Jose got his doctorate in theology, became a priest, and took the name Abbe Faria, meaning abbot. Abbe Faria was an extremely gifted speaker, and after giving a start of the Pope, the Queen of Portugal invited him to say mass that she would be attending. A very, very nervous Faria was about to give his sermon in front of the Queen, tongue-tied. His father, who was sitting in the first row, basically whispered to him, that it's not a big deal, so just get on with it. He was then able to give a sermon. He had no idea at the time, but this incident would found impact on him. Soon after that sermon, Faria took part in the French Revolution and was arrested and placed in solitary confinement, a prison on an island off the coast of Marseille. He remembered his father's words to him when he was tongue-tied. Those words caused him to think about the power of suggestion. By just his father's words alone, telling him it wasn't a big deal and to get on it, he had been able to continue his sermon. He realized the power of words and suggestion, and while in sol solitary confinement, he began to practice self-hypnosis using phrases based on what his father had said to him. A couple of years after Faria was released from prison, he moved to Paris and began to work on his theory <clears throat> of somnambulism or lucid. <clears throat> in this paper, he did Mesmer's theory of animal magnetism and the power of magnetic fluids in a person's body. Faria suggested that the power of the imagination, he went on to hold public demonstrations to show his technique and powers where he would use his voice to place people in what he termed, due to his great skill at speaking, his shows were a huge success. People loved them, <clears throat> the Catholic, not so much. They accused friends of dabbling in the occult and witchcraft, discredited. He moved away and lived the rest of his days quietly. Franz did not quit, though, and during this time, he wrote a piece called On the Cause of Lucid Sleep in the Study of the Natural Man. It connected the patient's will, suggestion, and the power of mind over body. It was published the day he died, September 20th, while scoffed at by scientists during the time. Today, it's now recognized for its importance to the understanding. Wow. Yeah. Alrighty. On March 29th, of 1951 in Copenhagen, Denmark, 28-year-old Pally Wickman Hardrup walked into a bank with a loaded gun in his pocket. He drew his gun. He ordered the staff and the customers to lay down on the floor. 
And then he ordered Kaas Muller, who worked at the bank, to place money in a bag that Hardrop had brought with him. Now, Muller was, he was reluctant to do so. And so he was shot to death by Polly Wickman Hardrop. Hardrop then pointed his gun at the bank executive, Arnold Wisdom, and he shot him as well. And Hardrop fled the scene on his bicycle without any money. Now, one person who had witnessed the attempted robbery and the killings followed him, and then they contacted the police. And Hardrop was soon arrested. And it seemed to be quite an easy case to solve, at least until a man named Jorn Shaw Nielsen showed up at the police station. He told the officers that Hardrop had fled the scene on his bicycle, but that he had had nothing to do with the killings. It was just his bike that got stolen. Nielsen's girlfriend provided him an alibi, but the police were not quite certain that Nielsen was completely innocent. It was soon established afterwards that the gun used in the killings actually belonged to Nielsen and that he and Hardrop had known each other for a very long time. In January of 1947, Jorn Shaw Nielsen was sentenced to Horsens State Prison. That is the facility for Denmark's very worst criminals. He was sentenced for crimes committed during the Nazi occupation. Nielsen was self-educated, street smart, talkative. He was an imaginative con man. He was always looking for the next easy mark. He had been occupying his mind while he was in prison by planning his next perfect crime. Oh, good Lord. He defined a perfect crime as one that would be impossible to trace back to him. A crime for which another person would inevitably serve jail time. And even if they accused him, he would be let off. Now, it's not really for sure, but he may have heard of a 1936 case of criminal hypnosis in nearby Sweden. The press had called it the Sala Affair. A criminal hypnotist called only had developed a gang of young men and women who raised money by cocaine trade, prostitution, robbery, and murder. And every gang member was one of his hypnotic subjects. He had conditioned each with an eclectic mix of occultism, yoga, and hypnosis. Nielsen decided that he needed he needed to try this. And he decided that Polly would be his next study. So Polly Hadrup was in prison for committing treason during and after World War II. Both he and his twin brother were convicted of the same crime, but his brother received a much lighter sentence. His brother actually received a sentence of about three years. Bali received a sentence of 15 and a half years. So other prisoners informed the police about their relationship. It was weird. They really usually only spoke to each other. They often spent time studying religion and hypnosis together. And when released... The two had started a company dedicated to the teaching of the art of hypnosis. After learning all of this, the investigators kind of sat back and thought about, could it be that Nielsen had actually hypnotized Hardrup and made him kill the two people in the bank? So Nielsen's arrested on suspicion of having hypnotized Hardrup and making him commit his crime. Hardrup was thoroughly examined by several doctors and psychologists, and he was actually given a truth serum which made him confess that he had been hypnotized and that other experiments had been made upon him. It was the view of the trial court in a decision that the Danish Supreme Court affirmed that Shao Nielsen had hypnotized the 28-year-old Hardrup to carry out the robbery and the murders. In 1954, about three years after the murders, both men were found guilty of murder. They were sentenced to life in prison, but both of them were actually released in 1967. Now, Hardrup released a statement soon after his release where he claimed that 
He'd been given very strong medications during the investigation. <clears throat> and that they, they had tricked him into saying that Nielsen had hypnotized him. He said Nielsen had absolutely nothing to do with the two killings. Folly Hardrup died in 2012. I couldn't find out how. Bajor and Shao Nielsen died by suicide in 1974 by swallowing potassium cyanide. Wow. And anybody who's listened to this podcast knows <clears throat> that potassium cyanide is a very nasty way to die. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. All right. Here's what I've got for us next. All right. We're learning. The average person actually enters a hypnotic state at least twice a day without even realizing it. When when my mother's talking. Some examples of this, which most of us can probably relate to, would include arriving at your destination without remembering driving there. We've all done that. Yep. Um, Finishing a chapter in a book and not actually remembering what you read, even though you know you read the words. Hmm. Or... Sitting down to watch a TV show, we'll say on Netflix. Okay. Losing track of time. Realizing it's six hours later and you don't really remember much of what you watched. Okay. All of those are forms of a hypnotic state. Hmm. You can also learn to self-hypnotize. Technically, all hypnosis is self-induced. You are choosing to follow these suggestions that bring you to the state of hypnosis. No one can force you to do it. No one can force you to relax and allow your mind to go into that state. If you learn the steps for successful hypnosis, you don't actually need someone to guide you there. You can guide yourself. Auto-suggestion, the practice of using positive statements and phrases continuously in your own mind to improve your self-perception, is a form of self-hypnosis. All right. Lynn was hypnotized there a moment. I know. I was. I was like, it was your soothing, melodic voice. It just took over her brain. Oh, I thought it was the pendulum. I'm swinging back and forth in front of her face. <laughs> I was looking into your eyes. <laughs> her big, beautiful brown eyes. <laughs> Green and gold flecked. They sparkle with mischief. Like diamonds. Like diamonds. That are really just cold. Under pressure. <laughs> Sorry, I have no rhythm. Are you trying to do under pressure song? Yeah. Under pressure. Yes. Under pressure. All right. Moving on. As Faria was working on his doctorate in 1790, James Braid, who would become known as the father of hypnosis and go on to give it that name, was born in Fife, Scotland. James studied medicine at the University of Edinburgh and then had a practice as a doctor in Scotland for three years before moving to Maine. On November 13, 1831, James saw Charles LaFontaine, the famous public magnetic demonstrator for animal magnetism and those magnetic people. fluid all the way baby what do you think's yeah. in our cup yeah. magnetic cup. fluid yeah he was performing can. mesmeric or animal magnetism to make people impervious to pain in a show <clears throat> now james did not believe in animal magnetism and thought lafontaine was a fraud 
So he went to three of LaFontaine's shows, and at one of the shows, he was actually invited as a medical doctor on the stage by LaFontaine to examine the people to see that they were truly in a different state of mind, in a trance. He discovered that they were indeed in a trance, and he was impressed when <coughs> one patient physically unable to open his eyes. Now, being a man of science and medicine, James decided he needed to perform experiments to discover the true reason for the patient's trances. He did not believe it had anything to the magnetic. He believed the trances were due to fatigue of the eyes because they all seemed to close their eyes. So James experimented on his wife, a friend, and a servant. He started by holding a bright object close to their eyes until their eyes closed due to strain as he talked to them. They were then in a trance-like state. Later, he found he didn't actually need the object to induce a trance, just his words. He also went on to perform self-hypnosis on himself, and based on what he learned, in 1842, he published Neuro Neurology, or the rationale of nervous sleep considered in relation with animal magnetism. These people and their titles, more words. At least they have punctuation in there. <laughs> he named the phenomena hypnosis and dreams because he felt in that state people were sleeping. So later on in 1847, he discovered that no sleep was required for hypnosis and he tr tried to rename it monoideism. But the term hypnosis is already widely being used and is still used. Nice. Same phrase. Wow. All right. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. We have moved on to our second cider of the day. This is from Farmhouse Cider Company here in Michigan, of course. This is one of their Lake Effect series. Right. And it is a lemon ginger cider. And it smells amazing. Mm-hmm. But is it zestfully clean? Nice. It I is. was going to say, I hope it does not taste like zest. It does. It is a really nice, clean finish to it. Super unique. Yeah, that's definitely quite different. I yeah. really like that one. That's very good. All right. May Yum. 27th, 2014. We're at a bank in Pasadena, California. Teller, doing their normal everyday duties. Every day they do them the same exact way. Nothing out of the usual until a customer comes in. Customer goes to the counter, and without saying a word, the customer leaves with a sack full of money that doesn't belong to them. That was a little unusual. Why did they hand that over? June 3rd, 2014. This is in the morning. At the South El Monte Bank in South El Monte, California. A young man walks into the bank. When it's his turn at the window, he stares deeply into the eyes of the teller. He hands over Demando. Continuing to keep eye contact, never breaking it until it's time to leave. Just staring deeply into her eyes as if he were reading her soul. He calmly waits until the money is placed in front of him. He turns to leave, and he walks out 
as if he didn't have a care in the world. That very afternoon, the same day, the scene, the bank in Temple City, California. Same scenario, same customer, same way of coming in as if this was a normal everyday thing, which to him it was. His turn at the counter, he knows the routine, he does his part, they do theirs. The gentleman customer, he has the same routine. His expectations that things will flow smoothly, that he will leave the bank with money that he doesn't own, but he feels he has the right to take. And a bank teller that unwittingly and perhaps unknowingly does exactly what he wants them to do, all without exchanging any words. June 20th of 2014, he enters the Bank of America in Manhattan Beach, approaching the teller, who doesn't know what's coming. He just looks at her, gazing into his into her mind as if he's looking for something. He doesn't really need the note that he hands over. She knows what she, he wants her to do. She knows it. She knows the fact that she needs to do it, too. Not because what if he might do if she doesn't, but just because she can hear him in her head and she needs to obey. The eye contact and the gazing continue until he gets what he came for, a large bag stuffed with large denominations of currency. Then he turns around and leaves, and the spell is broken. He wasn't old. He certainly didn't have that worldliness about him that the older generation carries. Investigators described him as a white male, about 6'2", 180 to maybe 190 pounds, and, and they guesstimate that he is between 28 and 35 years of age. He has a red heart tattoo on his hand. He looks directly into the cameras of the bank, and he never tries to disguise himself. But what the wanted posters don't and can't tell you is that he is charming. He's personable, and he has a personality that some would describe as hypnotic. They called him the hypnotist bandit, and apparently they called him that with good reason. And on Tuesday, July 1st of 2014, the FBI made it public that they had arrested 28-year-old Manuel Jose Hernandez of Ventura County for the bank robberies. <clears throat> Here's the rest of the story. Manuel went into the Chase Bank in Ventura County, and he did what he had been doing for the past month. He stared, and they quietly gave him large sums of money. It was a good gig, fairly clean, easy, no overtime. But this time, the FBI agents were waiting, and after the hypnotic banker left the Chase Bank and he drove away, they followed him. They pulled him over, and they arrested him. Easy as pie. Why and how did the FBI know that he was going to rob that particular branch, you ask? Thank you for asking that. <laughs> well, hey, they, Mary, how did they know? ESP. They had ESP. ESPN? Yeah. Well, they didn't. Manuel Hernandez was simply unaware that the bank that he was robbing was on the ground floor of a building that also housed the FBI's Ventura Resident Agency. And they just saw him. Oh. And okay. now you know the rest of the story. No, there's a lot we don't know, Mary. I know, because I'm just so confused. Is there more? No, that's it. That's all. Now you know the rest of the story. This is Paul Harvey signing off. <laughs> We don't know the rest of the story. <clears throat> I thought that was a good place to stop. Why did they really decide were any of the bank tellers ever prosecuted? No. They called him the hypnotist bandit. They said he walked in the banks and hypnotized the tellers. Wow. Yeah. Okay. 2014. We have all been working in the wrong field for a long time. Wow. Alrighty then. To go, Rob. I'll be back. Okay, we'll wait for you. She's not moving very quickly. No, she's not. No, I have to, I should probably 
Well, hypnotism can be used for a wide range of reasons. We know. We're figuring that out. <laughs> Overcoming fears. Yeah. Weight loss. Mm-hmm. Ending bad habits, such as smoking. Yeah. To recall information or find lost items. To stop sleepwalking or to help cure insomnia. I did not know that one. It has been used to reduce pain during childbirth or as anesthesia during surgeries. It works. It is showing great promise in people with ADHD because it helps them gain a sense of control. It increases their self-esteem, their competence, and it reduces their stress. It can improve your sex life. It can help you kick your chocolate craving. I don't want to. I'm I'm thinking that you hypnotize your husband into thinking that you've already had sex if you don't want to have it. No more, I have a headache, it's that time. Anything like that, you're just like, yeah, we already had it, you loved it. I thought maybe you were going to hypnotize your husband into thinking you were a piece of chocolate. (laughs) (laughs) So many, so many (laughs) uses. I have definitely become a hypnotist. And when it comes to hypnosis, phone sessions can be just as effective as in-person sessions, no face-to-face required. Because that pendulum or stare deep into my eyes, not actually necessary. And in fact, they charge you extra for that anyway. Reputable therapists, hypnotherapists actually do not use those techniques. They guide you into the technique that gets you to that state. All right, Lynn, now that you're done hypnotizing your husband into not having sex. All right. Martin Born was born October 16, 1927 in Vienna, Austria. His family moved to New York City in 1938 to avoid the Nazis. He went to college at Harvard, got his master's from Tufts Medical School, and returned to Harvard to a Ph.D. in psychology. For a period of time, Martin worked for the CIA which wanted him to investigate using hypnosis to make people do against their nature. Not that the CIA would ever do that or want to do that. They just So like in the mature Manchurian candidate, where a soldier's brainwashed into assassinating a person, could that really happen? His research is one of the ones who, based on what Johanna said we now know, proved you cannot induce someone into doing acts against their will. In his research, he found that the control group was actually more likely to perform acts that were antisocial than the hypnotized group. Oh my gosh! Yeah, yeah, so they were calmer and less likely to do Martin is also known for his research on memory distortion in hypnosis. During that time, it was not uncommon to believe hypnotism could restore lost memories. And testimony from hypnotherapy sessions was being used in court. You know, the case where this guy who got off. Uh, it's a <laughs> that hypnosis is not reliable. He used it to improve his sex life? Yes. Because <laughs> uh, it often leads to false memories and memories. So being hypnotized to remember that. important things or crimes against you or crimes against children, as we've heard about, it's not a good idea. So it one of the things... One of the things that I will interrupt you and and interject is my research brought me to the fact that because of that, because of the ability to create false memories, it is not recommended that hypnosis ever be used on people who have severe mental disorders. 
Gotcha. Yeah. Well, that would be smart. Yeah. Okay, Lynn. Well, let's see. So his research has actually been cited more than 30 times in the U.S. Some court coming down on the side of not using. Another study Martin published showed that participants in experiments really want to please the researchers. So they unknowingly will tell researchers what they want to hear, which is not always what is true. They right. need to do this. It just happens. But this has led to changes in how experiments are conducted and how reasons evaluate the reaction. He went on to help establish the AMA standard, hypnosis in therapy, while exposing the poor practices that were still widely accepted. So he made a huge improvement on the Dilda Wild Wow. All right. Georges Gilles de la Tourette, the neurologist for whom Tourette syndrome is named. Born in 1857, Georges wanted to be a doctor, and so a doctor he became. He saw patients, he did research, and he even found the time to write and publish papers. Now, this Dr. Tourette's involvement in criminal hypnotism was conspicuous and well-known by his colleagues, as shown by his own experiments, the most famous of which being his suggested poisoning of a colleague by Blanche Whitman, the hysteric patient of the 1887 Brulee's painting. So they actually painted this woman. Blanche was given the title, the Queen of Hysterics. She was a patient of Charcot's, who was actually George's mentor and idol. George's just liked to experiment with women in hypnotism. <laughs> that's nothing suspicious about that. I know, that's what I was just thinking. <laughs> Dr. Tourette also acted as an expert in murder trials, and his conclusion... In the Joffre's trunk case, where he affirmed that no murder in real life could be due to hypnotism or a hypnotic suggestion. And he considered the fact that Gabrielle Bompard, the murderer's accomplice, was not under hypnotic suggestion. His, uh, his testimony had a considerable impact. So in July of 1889, Parisian court bailiff Toussaint Augustin Joffre went missing. And it wasn't until a body turned up three weeks later and almost 300 miles away that the authorities became concerned. And once the body had been positively identified as Joffre's, the rest of the case began to fall in place. The authorities looked into his activities right before he disappeared, and they saw that he had been interacting with two swindlers, a man named Michael Urand and his mistress, Gabrielle Bompard. The pair had fled Paris on July 27th, two days before Joffre was reported missing. The criminals were eventually apprehended. They were tried in December of 1890. Pompards was sentenced to death, and she was guillotined in February of 1891. She insisted that Irad had forced her into the crime through hypnosis, and she was given 20 years of she was given 20 years of hard labor and got off early for good behavior. She actually lived until the early 1920s. So his testimony in that case had a lot of impact. Now, the year 1893 had not been kind to Dr. Tourette. His son had passed away from meningitis. His mentor and his idol, Jean-Martin Charcot, had died from a lung disease. But the year wasn't over. On December 6th, a young woman dressed in black rang the doorbell at the apartment building where Dr. Tourette lived. His valet told her that the doctor was out, but she insisted on waiting for him. After about 15 minutes, Dr. Tourette returned from seeing a patient at a local hospital, and she immediately confronted him in his consulting room. 
Now, the woman, Rose Camper, had been one of his patients at the Hysteria Hypnosis Hospital, and she was demanding money from him for ruining her life. She claimed that the hypnosis made her unfit to work. He had not only treated her, but hypnotized her as well. Now, he recognized that she was emotionally disturbed, and he offered to have her readmitted to the hospital under his care. Nothing suspicious about that at all. After she failed to reply, Dr. Tourette just kind of got up, and he was ready to leave the room. When the woman took out a revolver and shot him in the neck. Oh, well, that's a bummer. Now, Dr. Tourette survived the ordeal. He only had minor wounds. The woman was later declared insane with a diagnosis that we would call today as paranoid schizophrenia. And she was returned to a psychiatric facility. Now, due to episodes of melancholia and phases of delusions of grandeur and, surprise, surprise, megalomania, Dr. Tourette was forced to leave the hospital in 1901. These symptoms and the corresponding neurological signs were attributed to paretic neurosyphilis. He was institutionalized in the psychiatric hospital, and over the course of the following three years, he became increasingly psychotic and demented. He suffered from epileptic seizures, and he finally died in the hospital on May 22nd of 1904. The moral of the story. Keep your dick where it belongs. Don't play God. Karma has a way of biting you in the ass. Well, he died from syphilis, so, you know. Well, he should probably have kept his dick where it belongs. Hit him in the ass, it bit him in the... <laughs> Why did you say that so quiet? What? Penis? Yes. It didn't bite him in the ass, it bit him in the penis. Yeah, shout it for the world to hear. Penis! <laughs> My neighbor is now looking at me really... Funny. Yes? Yes, Lynn? <laughs> you called? You mean this? <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, Lynn, do you have a... One last person for us? I do. I have saved the best for last. Yay! For those of you who were lucky enough to be around in the best time of the world, the 70s, you may have listened to or watched Pat Collins, the hip hypnotist. For the past 20 years, these have been the most famous eyes in all of Hollywood. belong to Miss Pat Collins, the hip hypnotist. I did. And she, I re- still remember her, was awesome. Pat was a wonderful entertainer with a great sister. Patricia Dillon was born May 7, 1935 in Detroit, Michigan, and spent her childhood, sadly, in many foster homes of beer depression. After suffering from a nervous breakdown at 17 and developing hysterical paralysis, a medical intern introduced Pat to hypnosis to help calm her. It worked to cure her paralysis, and she decided she wanted to study hypnosis. She was initially an entertainer, singing and doing comedy, going by the name of Pat Collins in Chicago, with no interest in doing stage hypnosis, because she thought all the current hypnotists on stage acted like it was this powerful, mysterious thing, and they were misrepresenting how hypnosis worked. After a performer convinced Pat to do one half-hour stage show in Wisconsin for some tractor salesmen, and it went quite well. She developed a show where she combined her risque humor and hypnotism. She had volunteers come up on stage to be hypnotized. She was honest and upfront from the start. 
that all she was doing was allowing people to be themselves, only more creative and with no inhibitions. No one would do anything they weren't willing to do. And those of you that do come up, you must remember that I am not going to hypnotize you. That's the truth. You are going to hypnotize yourself by taking my suggestions. I just say the proper words and the proper place at the proper time. And if you're willing, you'll go under, you relax physically or mentally, but you're not unconscious. Every show of her starts with her explaining how hypnotism works, what it does and does not. And then the fun would begin where she would hypnotize people and have them do really silly things, much to the amusement of the other people around them. When the show was over and they awoke, they remembered everything they did. And as she put it, they were happy and well rested, like they had a wonderful eight hours sleep. Pat's big break came when she appeared in 1960 on What's My Line. After that, she was booked at larger clubs like Reno and on talk TV. Uh, from there, she was signed by an agent and started doing her act on Sunset Strip in Hollywood. She hypnotized famous people from her day. Steve Allen, Jill St. John, Boyd Bridges, Jill Haworth, and Collins once even hypnotized Lucille Ball on a segment of the I Love Lucy show. Wow. Yep. And you can find that clip still online. This is Lucy Carmichael. This is Miss Pat, the famous hypnotist. Oh, Miss Pat. Oh, the hip hypnotist. Oh, I am. Yep, she also made a record title with Pat Collins. That's original. (laughs) Yeah, at the time it was considered pretty risque. Nowadays, we wouldn't even look at that twice. In 1963, an article about Pat's show by a well-known critic caused her to become a household name, soon a national celebrity. She was written about in Times, Life, as well as Newsweek, and also starred in several movies. In 1965, Pat made her debut at the Riviera in Vegas, where she would continue to perform many times over the years. At the peak of her career, she was earning the amount of $5,000 a week. That's equal to a little over $40,000 a week in today's money. Wow. Yeah. New gig. I feel a new gig coming up here. Well, I'd wait on that. Eventually, she opened her own nightclub, The Session on Sunset, where she would not only perform her act, but also help people after it. She always invited the people who wanted help with something to stay after the show so she could continue and help them with things like depression, anxiety, weight loss, self-confidence, or to quit quit during the same time she released her second album, Turn On. For some reason, the three major TV network honchos terrified of Pat Collins. They refused to allow her to be broadcast in any form on their stations. And if you think back to the 70s and the late 60s, that was all there was. So in 1969, she filed a huge lawsuit against them, and eventually they had to agree to allow her on TV. But with the caveat that she could not perform hypnotism on the air, which was her whole gig. That's her whole show. Yeah. Yeah. So we're going to have a beginning and an end, and have a good night, folks. Uh, I, I don't even think they did that. It was like interviews and stuff. That's crazy. Yeah, well, maybe they were afraid of her hypnotizing people through the TV. So, finally in the 80s, a relatively new and edgier network was on TV, and they gave her four TV specials. That network was Showtime. As time went on, Pat Collins' popularity began to wane, and she passed away in 1997 at the age. Well, not the first female hypnotist entered. She was generous with her time to charities, individuals, and family. She was an amazing, compassionate, and funny human. You can still find her shows online. Go to YouTube and look for Pat Collins, Hypnotist, and uh, give them a watch. They are great. And uh, a quote by her, 
you all have control over your mind, your body, your life. After Pat Collins, there have been other entertainers, but they're all just a pale replica of that dynamic. Many of them, though, have realized they can make money from both the entertainment side and the therapy side, combining them as a one-stop shop. If you look online, you'll find their sites promote each one as the world's best. I don't know how there can be so many world's best. I was blown away by all of these amazing who can entertain you and cure you. But when you try to find actual stories or reviews on them, they're all just self-promotion. So there's not a lot of real factual stuff about these people out there. So, yeah. Wow. Well, to wrap us up, I'd like to stop and take a minute to talk about the fact that uh, hypnotherapy is a real thing. That is using hypnosis as a form of therapy to improve your life. But the thing that you need to be aware of before you choose to seek out a hypnotherapist is there are no actual regulations for people who wish to practice hypnosis as a service. We could do that right now. So if you seek out a hypnotherapist, please, please do your research. It is not cheap. Most sessions run between $800 and $1,500 an hour, and they are usually not covered by insurance. Now, there are some professional organizations that do require specific training to join, so that can be a good place to start when you're looking to try hypnosis for more than entertainment. The National Guild of Hypnotists is one of the best places to start your search for a qualified hypnotist, along with having a code of ethics, for people who belong to them, they require a minimum of 100 hours of actual training. Good for them. Good for them. Yep. Wow. Great job, ladies. We hope that you found some sort of enjoyment or maybe even some sort of reassurance and hope out of this story. If hypnotherapy is something that you have been interested in then by all means do your research because it can be beneficial in as little as one session nice very nice yeah all right guys we hope you enjoyed the bonus episode today don't forget to join us every wednesday for regular episodes uh if you have anything you feel like we should cover shout it out to us we'll be glad to take a look at it anything else ladies if you have been hypnotized Ooh. or had hypnotherapy Ooh. or a hip, hypnotist, thanks, lost the word. If you're a hypnotist or a hypnotherapist, drop us a line and let us know. I think that's awesome. That's a good idea. We could hear some real fun stories. Absolutely. All right. And, you know, I'll put this out there. Okay. Throw it out there, right there on the table. If you are a hypnotist... I think that all of us would be willing to try it. If you want to do a phone session with us, we would be happy to record it. With that in mind, happy Easter. We hope you have an amazing day. Thanks, guys. We love you. Bye. Bye. Hop on out of here. <laughs>